hopefully you made it in early enough to catch uh, the video announcement earlier on in the service about where we are in the timeline and where we are in the all-in commitment in terms of uh, getting ready to start construction. Uh, if not, be watching for an update either through email or through like social media. We'll be getting that information out this week. Just want to keep you updated. We're moving forward. It's exciting. God is blessing. Uh, we are most excited about um, having more space to invite more people to be a part of this amazing work God is doing through our church. And so, uh, so excited about that. Uh, quick announcement. We are two weeks away from launching our spring semester of community groups. Our community groups meet in the fall and, the, I'm sorry, the fall semester. They meet in the fall and the spring. Uh, most of our groups take a break in the summer months for family time and vacation, fellowship time, but uh, we're, we're getting ready to fire up again. So if you're in a community group, uh, that needs to be on your radar. Be thinking about that if you haven't got your, your, your schedule laid out yet. But if you're not in a community group, I want to let you know this is an exciting way to get connected here at the church. I hear often, how do I get connected at the church? Well, connection doesn't happen until you begin to build relationships with folks. And uh, we've got over 300, 350 people who show up on Sundays. Um, even if we were all in one service, there's no logistical way for you to connect with that many people. And so that's where community groups comes in. It gives us a small group setting uh, to walk in transparency, uh, to talk about and study God's word together. And so if you're not in a community group, I want to encourage you to pray about and consider uh, talking to Brian Lamb about getting connected to a community group. You can do that through a couple different means. First of all, as you walk out on the right, there's a board of acrylics. Those are all of our team ministries. Community groups is in there. If you grab the community group brochure, you'll flip it over. You'll see a beautiful picture of Brian Lamb and the email address at the bottom on how to get connected there. Or you could grab the card in front of you that says community. And I think you can check it on there as well. Um, or you could email Brian direct. Or you can just go grab him by the shirt sleeve and say, I want to get in a community group. All those methods are fine. Uh, I prefer the latter if you just bombard him after the service. Uh, but either way, we want to get you connected with, with the church here, with the people. Beyond Sunday mornings and sitting in a seat where everybody's facing the same direction, we want to get you in a context where you can sit and look at people and get to know folks, and people can get to know you as you study God's Word, and that's our community group ministry. So wanted to bring your attention to that. Um, so um, I want to go ahead and let you know. So we're going to start in Acts 25 and 26. I'm going to give you a summary of 25, and then we're going to read 26 together. Um, if you're visiting with us or haven't been here, uh, we're moving through the book of Acts. We're almost done. We've got just a few chapters left. Uh, what we're learning week after week is that while the book of Acts is this compilation of a lot of short stories, different characters, different events, different towns, different people, that ultimately God is writing one story or one meta-narrative with the book of Acts. It's the story of the unstoppable church, that God has sent His Holy Spirit into the hearts of His people to launch and build His church. And despite persecution, despite, um, as we're going to see, uh, unexpected events like shipwrecks, despite man's best intention to shut the church down, God's church prevails. And the book of Acts is the story of that. Now, I, I share that with you because I also want to bring attention to your story today. Just like the book of Acts, every person in this room has a small story. And as we join our hearts together as a church, God is compiling our stories together to write one continuous story. In fact, it's the same story we're reading about in the book of Acts. The story goes on after we finish this book in the Bible. And you and I are here today as God continues to invite us to throw in our little small stories into his bigger story of redemption. 
And I want you to be thinking about your story today. So we've made it to a point where uh, we're somewhat at the climax at the book of Acts. Things have really heated up. The Apostle Paul is, is primarily the, the person we're, we're learning and reading about. Um, he's been arrested and tried and threatened. He's been transferred from one prison to another. And now, today, we're going to get to hear him speak before a king for the first time. So let me just bring you up to speed. In chapter 24, last week, Brian Lamb ended uh, with the Apostle Paul in prison in Caesarea under the reign of the governor, Felix. What happens between chapter 24 and 25 is Felix has been replaced by Festus. Okay, So Festus is now in charge. He's the new governor here. And so to kind of figure out what's going on, he's going through the role and who all's in prison, he brings Paul out and questions him and tries to figure out what's going on. And he asks Paul about the accusations and what's going on. And then he says to Paul, Paul, wouldn't you rather just go back to Jerusalem and maybe have this case tried in the, you know, the lesser courts with your own people where people kind of understand what the, you, know, you and the issues? And Paul's response was, no, I appeal to Caesar. Now, what an interesting response. Because, see, to appeal to Caesar is to go higher up into the courts to be put at the mercy of Caesar who has the final word. And so essentially what Paul is saying is, I would rather go before Caesar and stand trial before him and him have the final say than to try to get out of this situation, to maybe go back to Jerusalem. Because ultimately, God has told Paul, we're headed to Rome. And so Paul appeals to Caesar. Now, here's the problem. Festus has to, because he's, Paul's a Roman citizen, he has to send him up to Rome to appear before Caesar. And he doesn't know what to write on the transfer papers. Now, what happens is, in chapter 25, King Agrippa, he's a, he's a grandson of Herod the Great. At this point in time, you had these smaller, lesser kings who operated under Caesar, who had authority. And Agrippa was one of those kings. So Agrippa comes to Caesarea, hanging out with Festus. And Festus said, let me run something by you. I've got this guy, Paul. Um, he's here from, he was transferred from Jerusalem. Uh, he, he's been accused by his own people of like, causing all these disruptions and all these sorts of things. I can't find him guilty of any charges. He's appealed to Caesar. I don't know what to write on the transfer papers to send him here. Right? So if we send him to, to Caesar with no accusations, we're going to look dumb. Right? And Caesar's going to go, Festus, why did you send this prisoner? He didn't do anything wrong. So could you help me with this? And Agrippa said, tell you what, let's, let's meet with him tomorrow. I want to meet this Paul guy. Now, Agrippa had a Jewish background, so he was really interested not only to hear what Paul was being accused of, but he wanted to talk with him about what he believed. So we're going to pick the story up in chapter 26, where Paul appears before King Agrippa. Okay? Now, Festus is there. right? He's the one who's responsible for Paul's life. And so we'll pick this up in chapter 26 of the book of Acts. So, Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand. He made a defense. This is a pretty big opening moment. Uh, Agrippa's a king. He doesn't even have to let Paul speak if he doesn't want to. He can just listen to the accusations, and he can make a judgment call. But he tells Paul, Tell you what, Paul, you got the floor. You get this show started. You tell me what this is all about. So Paul responds in verse 2. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you 
to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They've known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope. My hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises from the dead? Now, this is a pinnacle moment for Paul. First time to appear before somebody of this caliber of authority. He's before a king. And we might expect Paul to roll out one of his best sermons here, right? Just to lay it out there, build this theological, scriptural case for why Jesus is the Messiah, right? And this is the the sermon that we would expect Paul to just blow out of the water. What he's going to do, though, instead of preaching this big theological sermon, is Paul is going to share his story. He's simply going to start from youth and share his story before the king. Now, when I first became a Christian... I was encouraged to share my story, my testimony. Maybe you've been encouraged to do that as well. I was told as a young Christian that you need to share your story with people because that's the one thing you have that people can't argue with. And I always thought, well, that's strange because why, why would that keep somebody from arguing? I mean, they can argue, right? They could say you're lying, you're making this up, that didn't really happen. But then I came to learn, okay, the point isn't that I would win an argument. The point is to lead people to faith in Christ. And so I had to take a step back and ask this question. If I'm gonna share my story with people, what do I need to share? How much of the old junk do I need to share? How honest and transparent do I need to be? How many scriptures do I need to quote, right? And how much of the gospel do I need to share? And I had to ask these questions. And what we're gonna do today, we're gonna walk through Paul's story and let him kind of set the pace for us on how to share our stories. And so we're gonna start where Paul starts. He's standing before the king, and essentially what he says is, I'm standing here on trial before you today because of my hope. So the theme of Paul's story is where he hangs his hope. He's going to share with the king where his hope is, and essentially for Paul, that's the theme of his story. So let's start in verse 9. Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So Paul's talking past tense. We've been following Paul's story, so he's talking about before he became a Christian. He said that, I was convinced of this, that I ought to do many things, or I ought to do anything I can to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them, often in the synagogues, and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. So the first thing that Paul wants to explain to the king is who he was before Christ. Did you notice the the blunt honesty with which he spoke? He didn't try to soft sell it at all, did he? Like, he didn't say, you know what, king, I used to be skeptical of the church, and and I even, you know, question some of their motives. He's saying, like, King, like, you just understand this about me. I haven't always been in love with Jesus. I haven't always been faithful to Jesus. There was a time in my life I radically opposed Jesus. 
So much so, I led in the persecution. I voted to put people to death. I had this raging fury within me to stamp out the church. That's who I was before Christ. I love this about Paul. He gives us permission to be honest, to be transparent. Now think about it like this. What good is it to stand and sing, oh, what a Savior, if we share our story in such a way that seems like we don't even need a Savior? Now think about that. The the gospel says that you and I are dead in our trespasses before we meet Jesus. We're like dead men walking. We're following the course of darkness here in this world. Think about it. That's a pretty bold statement. Why would we present our stories as though we kind of had it together, we met Jesus and then finished putting everything together and we've got it right? You were a dirty, rotten mess before you met Jesus. So was I. Like One of, uh, one of my favorite things to happen now that I'm uh, over 40 is to run into people that I went to high school with who don't know what I do now. And it used to bother me because I'd say, you know, oh, I'm a preacher, and then the conversation would get kind of awkward. And, and I love the response now that we're like 20-plus years removed. Like, they look at me like, whoa, what's going on? Let's catch up, family. Yeah, what are you doing? Like, oh, I pastor a church. And they look at me and go, really? You are a, oh, like a youth minister? No, like they let me like preach on Sundays. <laughs> like, you? You're a pastor? The last time I saw you, we were at so-and-so's party, and the police were chasing us, and like, you're a pastor? Like, I love it. Yes, because they, they know the me before Christ. But if I meet somebody who didn't know me, right, as I share my testimony, it's, I, I need to be clear. Like, you need to understand something. Like, I was dirty. I was wretched. I was sinful. I used to live for my own motives. I used to try to manipulate people into getting the things I want. I used to try to manipulate situations to to where I came out on top. I was living for me 100% transparent. And I think we need some help here because there's a significant difference between repenting and walking in transparency versus getting caught and apologizing. I think everybody in the room knows what it's like to get caught, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, I did that. That's different from I did that. I own that. That was me. That's what happens when I'm in charge of a situation or I'm in charge of my life. Repentance is coming to a place of 100% ownership of our sin. It's not comfortable, right? It's not comfortable at all, but, it, but, it's, but it's real. You and I need a Savior because we made a mess out of our life. One of the helpful things in learning how to share your story is thinking about who the main character is. When you share about your life before you met Jesus, you're the main character, right? And you're sharing about what happens in life when you're the hero of your own story. This is what I accomplished, a wreck, right? This is what I guided myself to, a mess. Here's where I walked in disobedience to God. This is what happens when I'm the main character. And this is where Paul starts, before the king. King, ask the Jews, they'll tell you. This is who I was before I met Jesus. Now from here, Paul moves on, and he recounts the story of meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. But let's lay the context. Why in the world was Paul going to Damascus? Was he going to Damascus to meet Jesus? 
Was he going to Damascus to hang out with Christians and kind of kick the tires on the church and see what was going on? He had written permission to kill Christians. He was a terrorist on his way to Damascus. Okay, this is who he was. Listen to Paul recount the story. In this connection, meaning his connection with being a terrorist and a persecutor of the church, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And we all, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's a really important phrase, and most of you don't know what goads are. So, in this context and culture where animals were used for transportation and for farming, the goads were, the, were, the, were like the sticks that they used to keep the oxen plowing straight or on the trail. It was the way that the person in authority let the lesser being understand when they got off track. And so what Jesus is saying to Paul is that all this persecution against the church is kicking against the will of God. Paul, why are you fighting me? Why are you kicking against the goads of God in your life? So this is a pretty eye-opening moment for Paul, right? I mean, literally, but figuratively and spiritually, when Jesus says to him, Paul, why are you fighting me here? All your life and energy is being spent trying to get outside the boundaries of what I have planned for you. Keep in mind, it's a terrorist. Now, how many of you have sat back and wondered, could God really use me? I mean, I don't feel like I'm very smart. I don't know a whole lot about theology. I can't even spell theology. And, and I, I know that Jesus loves me. And I'm, I know like two Bible verses. And like, can God really use me? I'm like, yeah. I mean, he's using, right now in this moment, he's saying to a terrorist, I've got plans for your life. You can't out the grace of God. Nor, right, can you be heroic enough that God would come to you and go, you know what, I really need you on my team. You've got a lot to offer. It's quite the opposite, right? Paul, I mean, God comes to people like Paul, like you, like me, who are inadequate, who are insufficient, who are going the opposite direction, right? He intervenes in our life and he rescues us. And this is what Paul is sharing. Verse 15 And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. What purpose? To put Paul to death, to punish him for being a jerk, for being a persecutor? No, for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here's why I'm sending you to them, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. Now, I want to point out something. I want to reiterate something. Here's what I want to point out. The moment God saved Paul, he called Paul. Paul was saved and called to ministry in the same event. 
Now that's important because when I grew up in church and became a Christian, the altar call at the end of the service went like this. Maybe you're here today and you want to become a Christian, come down to the front, we'll lead you to Christ and pray with you. Or maybe you're here today and you want to join the church, you come down to the front, you join the church and we'll vote over you. Or maybe God's calling you to ministry and we'll come down to the front and we'll pray over you and we'll get you packed up and ready to go to seminary. And so calling was always this other thing for the special Christians, at least in my mind. So early on when I was a Christian, God was stirring in my heart to, that he wanted to do something through me. And every time he did a work in my life, I wanted to give that away to somebody. I wanted to tell somebody about it. I wanted to see God work in their life the same way. And that calling to ministry was there at day one. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're saved and called. Now, it took years to work all that out in detail where I was headed with that. Was it music ministry, youth ministry, pastorate ministry, sometimes away from ministry? But ultimately, right, God was saying, I have called you. I have a purpose for you. And, he, and I, 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 I love it because it, the calling comes before we're worthy or ready to be called. That's what we see here in Paul. It wasn't, Paul, I'm saving you. I'm forgiving your sins. Now we're going to do this trial thing for a few months. I'm going to see how good you are at preaching. I'm going to see how faithful you're going to be. I'm going to see if you can be nice to people. Can you play nice, Paul? And if you can, then we're going to talk about going to seminary. And then we're going to call, talk, look at a position for you in a church. No, the moment Paul like, encountered Jesus, Jesus had a purpose of ministry for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that if you're saved, God's spirit is in you. And he's gifted you with spiritual gifts for service in the church and his kingdom. That's you, right? That's you. It's not for just those who are on staff or those who are missionaries. Every Christian who has been saved has been called to ministry. That should blow your mind right now. We'll come back to that in a minute. That should blow your mind. And so Paul is laying this out before the king. I encountered Jesus. It was crazy. He saved me. And at the same moment, he saved me. He called me to take this life-saving, life-transformational message of forgiveness of sins to the whole world. Verse 19, therefore, O Grippa, O King Grippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. And we'll stop right there. Paul is not bragging on himself. He's saying, this is what God told me to do, King Agrippa. This was actually his idea. I'm not here today because I'm this super powerful religious charismatic, magnetic personality. I'm just doing what God told me to do. Then in verse 21, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from where? God. God is still to this day the one helping me. I have not arrived. I'm not at a place where I can do this thing on my own. It's God who helps me. God who empowers me, God who stirs me, God who guides me. When I'm standing before people, I don't know what to say. It's God who speaks through me. God is the one guiding my life. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And there at the very end, Paul inserts the gospel. Now we're going to look at the response in just a minute of King Agrippa. But what Paul has done for us, he's laid out this example. Here's how you share your story. You start with who you were before Christ. 
not in a way that you're showing off or bragging about how cool you used to be, right? Quite the opposite. In humility and honesty and transparency, you're saying, this is who I was before Christ. This is what my life looks like when I'm the main character and I'm the hero of the story. Then you shift to, here's how I met Jesus. I love sharing this part of my story. You've, many of you have heard it. I always talk about, like, I went to church camp because I was told there were going to be girls there. I didn't go looking for Jesus, right? Wasn't interested in singing any songs. When I packed my suitcase, I thought, how, you know, how do I need to present the goods here so I can get a girl? That's why I went to camp. Then I encountered Jesus, and I fell madly in love with him, madly in love with him. I began to find myself in tears, worshiping, singing these songs about this God who I just met and this Jesus who saves dirty, wretched sinners like me. And I came home a different person. I went pursuing one thing, like Paul, and I came home pursuing someone else, Jesus. And so you share your story. This is who I was before Jesus. Here's how I met Jesus. I was in a church service. I was at my grandma's house. I was drinking coffee with a friend at Starbucks. I was alone in a hotel room or my bedroom reading a Bible. I was online listening to a testimony, wherever it was. This is, this is how I encountered Christ, how he captured my heart and my attention. And then what Paul does is he shares about from that moment forward what he's been doing. All with the help of God, here's who I am today. Not perfect at all, but being made perfect. Now what happens next is this. We'll, we'll read this together. Festus is getting nervous. You remember the scene, right? Festus doesn't know what to do with Paul. So he asks Agrippa to meet with Paul and kind of help him figure this out. So Paul just starts sharing his testimony with the king. It's like nobody else is there. He's just talking to him. Festus evidently is getting a little nervous, so he butts in. Okay, we'll pick this up in verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, so he's talking, Festus said with a loud voice, so Festus butts in, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. To which Verse 25, Paul responds. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. These things are true. They're real. This is really who I was before Jesus. This is really how I met Jesus. And this is what God has done in my life since then. It's real and it's rational and it's true. And then Paul is gonna turn back to the king, verse 26, for the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I, except for these chains. What a beautiful, clear example of how to share your testimony in order to lead somebody to Christ. And Agrippa knew what he was doing, didn't he? There at the end, Agrippa's like, Paul, are you trying to convince me to become a Christian here? I'm, right? And we know that as Paul shared the gospel, the Holy Spirit was probably working in King Agrippa's heart and life. We don't figure out how it ends, but... He's, he's picking up on what Paul is laying down here. Are you, are you trying to talk me into becoming a Christian? Now, what's interesting is this. If you read the rest of the chapter, 
uh, Festus and Agrippa, they're all chatting about this later, and, and they, they come to this conclusion. You know what's crazy? If Paul hadn't appealed to Caesar, we would probably just let him go. There's no, there's no charges against him. Now, from my perspective, I'm like, that's what I want. Get me out of jail. That's not what Paul's perspective is, is it? All these things are happening to Paul, falsely accused, viciously persecuted, death threats on his life. If I'm in Paul's shoes, I'm like blaming people, blaming God. Why is this happening to me? And rather than doing that, what does Paul see that as? It's an opportunity and a platform. Are you kidding? I get to speak before a king right now. Watch this. And he just steps up, begins speaking to the king, and shares his testimony. Now what I want to do is I want to circle back around to your story. I want to circle back around to what it means for you to share your testimony. So we've got this outline from Paul. We share who we were before Christ, how we encounter Christ, who we, who we are since then. And then Paul inserts the gospel. Now, all of this can be very intimidating um, for some folks. It was for me, right? I don't know if I get the words right. What if I get it out of order? I don't know how do I get the conversation started. And what I want to do is just spend a few minutes maybe helping you and maybe helping to break down some of those intimidation barriers. So let's talk about who you were before Christ. This can be intimidating because our, our human nature is to hide sin. It's to pretend like we're better than we are, right? So this, is, this, is, this is, can be oftentimes the most challenging part about sharing your testimony. It's a place of being honest and real. Remember, repentance is owning sin, not soft-selling it or pretending like it didn't happen, right? So it's a place of honesty. It's a place of saying, listen, you, you don't know who I was before Christ. Now, when I read chapter 26 in Paul's testimony, I hear in Paul's words a sense of amazement. Paul's telling his story in such a way that, that I, I feel from Paul saying, like, you, you aren't going to believe this, Agrippa. I was this person. Jesus saved me and used me. There was like this, it's like Paul never got over the amazement that God had enough forgiveness to forgive him of killing Christians. Right? And I think that for you and I, like, that's the beginning of sharing our testimony. Like, not getting over that. If you've gotten over that or forgotten that, that's where we need to start. Like, it still needs to blow your mind that God saved you. Right? So, before I met Jesus, I was the hero of my story. Now that I've encountered Christ, he's the hero. Holy cow, he's awesome. He would save a dirty, wretched sinner like me. And we should never get over that true reality of amazement that God saved us and called us. And you should share your story from that posture. Like, let me just tell you how awesome God is. Holy cow. Right? God can save and forgive. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. And we know this was Paul's heart. How did he, how did he share this with Timothy in 1 Timothy 1? This is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, among whom I am the worst. Right? Paul never got over that fact. As he shares this story with Agrippa, I feel Paul's amazement here. Like, Agrippa, God is a gracious God. Right? So we share who we were so that we can set the stage for talking about how amazing God is, where Jesus becomes the hero of our story. Where Jesus steps in and forgives and saves and heals and redeems and begins to guide our life in a different direction. This is where we change the pronouns from I, me, mine, myself, to him, he. Here's what he's done. Here's how he's guiding my life. We talk about how 
God has helped you and guided you up until this point. You're not perfect, but you're being made more and more like Jesus through trials and struggles and, and even through your honest struggle with sin. And you insert the gospel. This is, this is going to be an intimidating thing for people, right? How do you, how do you, how do you speak, the, how do you share the gospel? Did you see how Paul did it? He just slid it right in there. King Agrippa, I mean, right, you, you believe the prophets, right? I mean, you Jewish. Well, the prophets talk about this hope we have for a Messiah to come, and what I'm saying is I just believe that he came. He suffered and he died and he resurrected from the grave. That's the gospel. And I, I think for us, we can get super intimidated and we can overthink it. Let me, let me walk you through some ways to start those conversations with folks. So one way to get that conversation started, however you want to word it, this is how I do it. Um, when somebody's talking to me about their, their problems or whatever they're at, Instead of like giving them good advice, what I will try to say is um, something like this. You know what? I finally had to come to the place in my life where I quit hoping in myself. Drop that on somebody, right? Like, whoa. What? First of all, what do you mean about hoping in yourself? What caused you to come to that place? What are you talking about? Right? And so now if they just bulldoze right through and just keep talking about themselves, right, then let them talk for a while. They just need to hear how cool they are. And then come back to it. Hey, can I share with you what it was in my life that made the big difference? I'm asking for permission. I've never had any person say, no, don't share with me. Right? Just open it up. The door's open. Well, let me just share with you about what happened. And so you share, again, well, here's who I was. This was the mess I made out of my life. And then I went to church camp chasing girls, and Jesus, like, waylaid me. It was awesome. I came home more in love with Jesus than myself. Like, really? You were 15? Yeah, that's what happened. Well, what was it that got your attention? Well, here's the thing. Like, I had just done a bunch of rotten stuff, and when I heard that God could love me still, like, that overwhelmed me. I'd never met that kind of love in this, in this world. And so here's how Jesus got my attention. Here's who, who I am now and how that journey has looked. You know, like, hey, you know, I would, here's, here's a great phrase. I would love for God to work in your life the same way he's worked in my life. I've never had anybody, like, slam a Bible in my face and walk away after that statement. Right, because you're sharing your intention. You're being honest. Like, I would just love to see God work in your life the same way he's worked in mine. You throw out statements like that, right, that the Holy Spirit can use and stir and open up. And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the gospel. You know what? I just had to come to a place in my life where I had to make a decision on what to do with Jesus. You can memorize that statement. I came to a place in my life where I had to decide what to do with Jesus. What do you mean by that? I had to decide whether or not I believed he truly was the son of God and died for my sins and resurrected from the grave. Boom, I just inserted the gospel, right? It's right there. I didn't have to quote 500 scriptures. You can do that, right? But I have to do all that. All I'm doing is just letting you know that my hope has changed in life from me to Jesus. He's now the hero of my story. I used to live as the hero of my own story, made a wreck of it. I've encountered Jesus. He's now the hero of my story. And you just brag on him. Talk about how good he has been to you, how he's guided your life, how he's blessed and redeemed and recovered and fixed and convicted and all those sorts of things. Now, the problem is very few of us walk in a way that we're ready to share it, right? Maybe sometime in the past you've shared your testimony. Maybe you've thought about it, but, but walking in, a, in this perpetual state of I'm looking for somebody to share my testimony with. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge us with some take-home today, okay? If you're up for it. First step is this. I'm gonna encourage everybody here today to go home and to write out your testimony, I want you to go back to chapter 26 in Acts. Look at Paul's outline if you need to. 
Who was I before Jesus? How did I meet Jesus? And who, who am I since then? Okay, I want you to write it out. Then I'm going to encourage you to share it with a Christian, spouse, a brother or sister in Christ who you trust, and then ask for feedback. Right? This is the person who can say, hey, you know what? Too many personal pronouns in this story. It seems like it's more about you than Jesus. And then you go back and you adjust. You go, oh, you know what? You're right. Right? Because we're good at talking about ourselves. So we go back, we adjust. And essentially what we're doing is we're working through how we would share it. We're preparing our hearts and minds to be ready to do so. Second thing is this. Allow your testimony to be a part of your worship. This is so important, Christ's follower. You want your worship to be vibrant, alive, full of energy and passion? Sing out of your testimony. When you sing these beautiful lyrics about the goodness of God and what he's doing in your life, sing it with your testimony in mind, right? Sing it with your story in mind. I once was fatherless, and then you sing those beautiful lines in that song, and like, it's your story you're singing about. We're singing about, oh, what a treasure we have in Jesus. Like We're singing it from, from the perspective of our own stories and how God has saved us and become our own hero. Let your testimony drive your passion in your worship. Now, I'm going to take it two steps further. This is Texas, right, where we do the two-step? Ha, ha. So, this is the next thing I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm going to ask you to start doing it right now. Begin praying and thinking about somebody you can share your testimony with. This, this can be the scary part, right? I want you to think about, I want you to pray about. Maybe you already know who it is, okay? Maybe that name and that face has already come to mind this morning. You already know. And you're like, oh, great. Now you tell me to write it down. <sighs> okay, fine, we're going to do this. Maybe you haven't thought about that. Maybe you just need to start praying, God, show me. I don't know who I need to share my story with. What I want to encourage you to do is um, we've got different things in front of you. The mission one, if you pull it out on the back. Um, we put these in the chairs for you so that when God challenges you or speaks to you, if, if you're like me, you need to write things down because you'll forget them. Um, this is just a way to do that, okay? So there's three statements on here. This week, I will pray for blank to come to know Jesus. Maybe that's on your heart this morning. You just want to pray for somebody. You don't even know if you're going to get to talk to them. Just want to pray for them. Write that down. Uh, this week, I will invite blank to come to church. Maybe you know there's somebody that God's been prompting your heart to invite to come to church. Uh, the one at the bottom says, this week, I will intentionally invest in someone and share the gospel by. Maybe that's where you already know. Like, I know I need to share my testimony with this person. And you would write that down. Now you can take these with you. Slide them in your Bible, put it somewhere where it'll be like a tangible reminder. Or if you want our prayer team and staff and elders to be praying with you, feel free to fill it out and drop it in a brown box. Because then it will come to our prayer team, our staff and elders will get it, and we'll pray with you for that person by name. It's either way you want to roll with it, okay? Last thing I'm going to ask you to consider doing is to report back to us. Let us know. We, wanna, we want to brag on how amazing God is with you and how he works through you, just like he's working through the book of Acts. And we don't know unless you come share it with us. We want to we give God the glory. We want to celebrate what God is doing through your life as he calls more and more people to become part of his kingdom. And so we would love to hear back from you. An email, just drop an email to somebody on staff. We'll share it with each other. Catch us in person maybe handwritten letter if you want to do it that way, phone call. Just let us know how God is working in and through your life as you seek to walk in obedience and sharing your story with the people around you.
Are you saved? Then you've been called to share your story. Stories are written to be shared. Stories are written to be shared. Your story is being written by the God of the universe in order that you would share your story. So I want to end by inviting our prayer team to come up and our, I'm sorry, our worship team to come forward. That's you. And I'm going to ask our prayer partners to be in the back. And um, they're going to be here. Our prayer team is here to pray for anything going on in your life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're not sure how to become a Christian or what to do, our prayer team would they'd just love to pray with you and talk with you about that decision today. So when we stand to sing, you could go grab one of them. Um, if you just want to stay seated thinking about um, what God is prompting you to do in terms of takeaway, maybe you're not quite sure who that person is, you want to spend some time praying about that, feel free to stay seated and just continue praying. If you want to stand and sing, you can do that as well. Let me pray for us and then we'll respond. God, thank you for this great reminder today from Paul's life and ministry that, God, for every person that you save, you are writing this beautiful story through our lives. And it's not beautiful because of us. It's beautiful because you take the mess we make and you turn it into something beautiful. And so, God, could you put within our hearts this angst and this desire, this eagerness to share the story that you are writing with our lives, with anybody who would listen. And God, would you go a step further? Would you take our stories and would you use them to call other people to yourself, to write more stories, God? As the story of your unstoppable church goes forward, God, may we be a part of it. Father, we ask for your spirit to move in this room, to stir in our hearts now as we respond and we pray these things.